Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Well, hello, David. Hello, Jim. <laughs> J- Jim's, lead- a- Jim's leading this episode because I'm having a fever dream as we speak. Um, Dave is a little bit out of it. He's he's having he's he's practicing lucid dreaming. I, I'm and, not even, uh, I'm not even sure what I'm doing right now. Like to be honest with you, um, I'm gonna I'm wake up tomorrow with a nightmare. Computer and um, yeah, I've been so I've got the flu. I got influenza. You know the the head cold crap. Yep. And I've been incapacitated. Last night we were supposed to record. I was two sheets to the wind. It was like I was drunk. And then yep. um, I didn't know if we were going to get to record today, to be honest with you. And then I was like, I got about three quarters of the way through the day and I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then because I felt pretty good and now it's night and now it doesn't feel so good. So now we're just going to. Yeah. If I fall asleep or something on the mic, you know, I'm sorry, guys. Also, um, I want to apologize if I cough on the mic or anything like that. I've, I've, I'll try to mute it as best I can. But. This is this is hell on earth. So, all right. You said the word cough, and I had to cough. Yeah, I mean, like it's sometimes those, I think I'd rather go things. through a war than this. I mean, oh. well, I've been through war, and it's not as good. No, I'm all sure right, it's so, not. I'm sure it's not. But yeah. so uh, today we're going to talk. Um, I actually came up with the uh, idea for our today's topic. Dave will come up. David will come up with some fantastic. Um, even in his sleep, he can do it better than I can. Yeah. Title for the show. I think the title we're of gonna, the episode is probably going to be Fever Dream at this point. Yeah, I think that's a good one. So we're going to talk about our practice regimes. And um, so I posted in the group earlier this week, I um, put together some question uh, or a question. I said, if I was to ask you how many hours a week you practice, what would your honest answer be? I got uh, 10 hours, five to seven hours. Um, most most people were um, in the ten to hours or so. I would say that uh, that was about the average. Um, and when I think about it, in a week, that's that's just about an hour a day. Yeah, putting aside, it's not really. I mean, well, I, t- actually, ten hours is ten hours is two. To, you know, two during the work week, well, it's two hours a day. 
if you were only practicing five days a week, yeah. Right. I'm just saying on a seven-day week, that's less than two hours a day. Yeah. Um, so let's give people, yeah. <clears throat> um, some people um, gave us five. Some of them said they don't practice at all. So here's the thing that uh, that I wanted to go over. First of all, um, I'm not sure if people uh, count practice because um, one user or one um, listener said actual practice, probably about a half hour. Yeah, because what practices versus just sitting around and noodling right. are two different things. And so my and, when I said 10 to 12 hours a week for me, that's not noodling. That's like sitting there actually doing something specifically repeatedly, usually while watching TV or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to get in on those. And so uh, the one person, like I said, said um, zero to an a-, a half hour. Um, and they said, uh, uh, the person said, I'm, if I'm playing at church, it's practice time with the band. So it's three to four hours total. Um, I was actually kind of surprised by that only because um, three to uh, three to four hours total with a band. I'm going to go over how that's really not effective practice typically. Um, so first thing, first thing that, uh, um, people would probably ask me how many hours of practice I get. I don't typically count playing with the band as practice. No, and that's play, a, rehe- that's a rehearsal. You're supposed to have your shit done when you come into rehearsal. Right. So what I do when I get there is I go in and I do, I typically do um, an hour and a half to two hours a day, depending on the kind of practicing I'm doing. Um, If I have rehearsal that day, I'll probably only practice about an hour, 45 minutes before I go. Um, And typically practice is, there's warm up in there um, and there's uh, scales um, and, you know, typically I'll work on a solo I've never worked on before. I try to do that every day, believe it or not. Um, and not for a long time, but that's part of my practice regime. So usually I'll, I'll warm up, I'll do something in a scale form, but I won't do a straightforward scale. Like I won't go, um, even if I'm doing pentatonics or I'm doing major minor scales, I'm not going to play the scale, you know, one, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm going to play the scale, um, effectively, like breaking it down into fifths or thirds, or fourths, and trying to make it sound more musical. Yeah, go ahead. I'm really big on etudes for everything. Mm-hmm. I don't believe there's a thing in this world that you can practice that you can't do with an etude. And the reason why etudes are important, well, they're not important. They give you they're they're a practice tool. So if you don't know what an etude is, it's it's, it's an application of something. So, right. you know, you might have a tapping etude or something like that where you can use it. It's it's actually a piece of music and there's something going on behind it and it sounds good to your ears. But it's not as boring to play as like, okay, so here I'm going to play this this uh, one, two, three, four pattern. You know, it's, it's right. not the same as that. For, yeah, for example, um, an etude that – there are several etudes that have become songs. Um, one of them was Slash's uh, intro to um, – what is it? Paradise – not Paradise Sun. Crazy Trains, the intro piece. Crazy Trains is intro. Is also a, a speed builder. Yeah, what's, uh, what's the big gold – or um, Guns N' Roses song, Everybody Plays Wrong at Guitar Center? Uh, sweet Child of Mine. Sweet Child of Mine. And, and yeah, I, don't play, I don't play it wrong, and I haven't played it at Guitar Center in probably a really long time. So Yeah. I, but you I'm, know cool what I'm, now. I'm cool now. I figured out how not to do that shit. <laughs> now, you now know what I'm just, talking so, about, just though, so right? we're clear, I would never have admitted that. 
has I not had, you know, this illness. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, sweet child of mine. Um, like you said, crazy train. That's another one you hear at the at guitar center. Um, the intro, um, to, uh, uh, dust in the wind is another one. Um, using, uh, something that, that musically makes more sense and it's useful. Yeah. It's like a workout. So, Think about that way. Yeah. It's, and it's like a workout. Exactly. Um, but <clears throat> playing a whole scale pattern is not, unless you're using it like as an intro or as a, as a movement from two, typically you're not going to play a whole scale from front to back. Well, so, I used to, but that's cause I'm, I'm an ignorant ass. Yeah. But it wasn't musical, right? No. I mean, and the thing is like, you're never going to use, if I run a two octave scalar run, I'm never going to use that. So let's ask let's ask this question of each other. Why would I learn a scale? What is the what is the purpose you need of the, learning you need a scale? The roadmap of the notes so that you know what you're right. playing against. You got right. you have to you do have to run scales, but I think if you break them up into smaller chunks, rather because everybody wants to run you know from E to E string, and right. like you, you're almost better off to just go E to D, and then right. G to G to E, and if you can do yeah. that, like on the on the you know those strings then you're going to be in a lot better shape. And I actually find myself the better tool I get now is to play. Like if I'm playing a minor in the fifth position, then I'll go a minor in the seventh position and then the eighth position and, and just go that way because then you can, then you can get all the modes down right. and uh, it's really easy to visualize. And another, uh, right. And another use of that is like, typically what people will do is they move up the fretboard. They will also move up the strings. And when I say up the strings, I mean, they will go for, to the thinner string where, a good um, a good practice is to move um, start at the thinner strings and move your way up the fretboard, but down to the thicker strings, just so that you learn more about how the. Um, yeah, I mean, for for me, breaking the mold is like instead of doing the three note per string scales. Yep. Add a slide in there. Get that. Get the fourth note in the on the, uh, you know, the the in between string. If you're yep. doing if you're doing three string scales, like you can you can really break the mold. By trying to shift from going, and I'll say this vertically, so from high E right. to low E, that would be vertical movement, right? Versus, you know, horizontal. E at the fifth fret to E at the twelfth, you know, to to the E string at the twelfth fret, horizontal, horizontal okay. movement. You're going to get more, you're going to have more variety if you learn to do horizontal yep. movement. Yep, and that's what I was saying. So, when, yeah. it, it, but try to break your mold. If you it, there's nothing wrong. If you're already doing with, horizontal, then figure the other out because you're going right. to do both. Right. That's what I was about to say. There's nothing wrong with playing um, horizontally and there's nothing wrong with playing vertically, but it can be boring if all you do is one or the other. No. If you always go high, you know, you always ascend and you mm -hmm. never descend. That's boring. If you always descend and never ascend, that's so, boring. So if that's an X and a Y axis, right? Yes. Horizontal, vertical, then the Z axis must be a tremolo bar, right? Yes. And that, that well, that's, the I know, next that's, that's it's a vibrato, but yeah. Those are those are technique practices. The Y, right? the, the y right. axis. Um. So no, so let's talk Z, about effective practice. Yeah. Right. Effective practice in the beginning. Effective practice. It's just like the fat kid. Uh, no offense, because I'm fat too. So I'm just going to call it out Shit. like it is. The fat kid that goes to the gym, the first few weeks, the fat kid loses a ton of weight. Oh, look at me. I'm losing a bunch of weight because it's easy because I'm fat 
And it's easy for me to lose weight because it's it's really just weight that'll fall right off when I start exercising, right? Man, I never well, had it easy. I'm fucking fatter than you are, and that has never been easy. Well, I, I do. But anyway, as time goes on, though, that becomes more and more difficult for everyone because there's less and less um, difference between the goal, the end goal, and where you are. Now, so what what is effective practicing? I would say for a beginner, playing the guitar is effective practicing. Now, that said, it's always a difference of is your goal to learn to, to play your scales? Are you going to want to be able to improvise? Then you should start using some scales. You should learn how to go up and down the fretboard. I, um, and you should learn uh, to do things musically. Now that said, um, you know, you have to know, you have to know your alphabet before you can know how to write and read. We all, we all learned our alphabet. Then we learned our basic words. Then we learned, um, you know, to read and write more and more fluently. Until you curse could, at people. Yeah. Until you could get to J.R.R. Tolkien and you could read a book and understand it. There's not a swear in Tolkien. No. There's none. But if you're not, if you've been a person who could read and you could stand in front of a class, you were the one that could, you know, sit down and say, consumer product ownership registration, product, microwave oven, model. Fuck you, this. Yeah, but, but were you able to create that? And that is the difference between the person that can regurgitate, that can, right? Regurgitate what they've seen or heard and the person that can create from their mind something that, that they hear that other people haven't heard. Can, can we talk about, um, so one thing no. people leave, fuck off. We, the one thing people Listen, you're leave dreaming. Out, you don't even know what the hell you're talking I about. I really don't. I mean, I could be spewing bullshit right now. It's probably no, going to have, it's Go probably gonna have most of what I say is bullshit anyway. <laughs> um, no, if we, so if we back off for a second and we're talking about technique training, the right. one critical part of training that everyone neglects, there's two of them. One is rhythm training. So yeah. use your fucking metronome. Oh. Um, and you don't even have to have an instrument to do that. I mean, you can literally just turn on a metronome and clap along to it. And then the other one is, um, Getting really, really hammered. No, uh, the the other yeah. one is ear training. Yes, and ear training go is freaking huge. Well, good. I'm touching on your points, then. Yeah, thank you very much for pissing in my wheaties. Yeah, so, I, hope, um, I hope they taste so, really bitter. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So once you know your alphabet, once you know those things, one of the things that that is important. Well, those two things are extremely important. So rhythm training. It's very important to have rhythm. So one of the earliest um, recollections I have practicing as a child was my aunt would have me um, mute the strings of the guitar and just, she said, just strum, listen to the strum and make sure it's on time. And it was, and then what she would do to have me practice timing. I don't know if I've mentioned this before is she would um, have uh, the radio on. She would have a song going. That's good. And then she would just random song, then turn the radio off. Right. And then turn it back but up I was, just to see where you right, were. Right. And I was expected to go. And I and she would start with five seconds. She would go to 10 seconds. You would be so surprised how far you could drift. Oh, fuck yeah. You'll be off if by you, two beats. Oh, yeah. You'll be way off. And you'll think, no, I'm right on. Because you're. 10 no. seconds is a lot of time. It is. And it, and it will go by. I mean, when you think about it, a lot of solos are 10 seconds long. Yeah. 
They it's are most of them aren't even that ten, long. Like ten and tw- between ten and twenty seconds. Your big epic yeah. stuff is longer, but I mean, yeah. the vast majority of what you think of as a guitar solo is like less than thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. eight to twelve seconds. Yeah, yeah. And so it, a lot of people, you know, when you talk about a four bar, so um, four bars in what? What is your typical song? Ninety to one hundred and ten beats a second. Or I mean a minute. Sorry, <laughs> that'd be real fast. Yeah, um, that, yeah. So Fuck you're, that. you're talking about yeah, you're talking about um, really. Uh, a very small amount of time. You'd be surprised at how far off you can be. And if you're if you're the kind of person that um, doesn't have that timing, then you're either going to push or pull the band as you play. You'll push or pull the uh, the rest of the band, depending on whether you have a tendency to go on top of or behind a beat. Right. So then the other one, like you said, is ear practice. So the other thing that she would do, she would take very simple songs. Like I remember um, a song about bananas. 10,000 bananas or something. <laughs> and it was a whole Harry Chapin song, right? That was one of the ones we worked on. And uh, she would work on like simple, simple riffs like don't, 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 boom, 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 boom. So learning how to play that and saying, okay, where are those notes, you know, in reference to each other? And then, of course, you, you were working on, I would work on chords as well. And and then she would say, what does that song sound? What is What are those chords? Now that you're playing them outside of the rest of the music, what does it sound like? And she would try to get me to to um, associate chord progressions yeah. and say, oh, you know what? If I move that to A, it sounds like this song. If I move it to B, it sounds right. like this song. So forth. Yeah. And that teaches you what? What What does that teach you? How to transpose. Right. Transposition and intervallic listening. Because you may not have perfect pitch. You don't need perfect pitch. But if you can figure out the root note and you have intervallic pitch, which most of us have as musicians, we hear intervals. Yeah, especially – and that, and that comes with time too. And it's not necessarily you have to, something you have to develop in order to actually have intervallic pitch, but it certainly helps. Right. Yeah, and, and um, a good way to do that is to play a third and then sing a third. Play a third, sing a third. Play a fourth, sing a fourth. And then, you know, your your major and minor and so on and so forth, and you're diminished and demolished. So, um, and you're agnostic and augmented. Um, <laughs> Whole tone, motherfucker. Whole you're, tone. You're agnostic. You're all agnostic I know, all I know is I have the whole tone. All right. We used to call them, we used to call them agnostic and demolished chords. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then after time, obviously, you're going to go into where start thinking about the things that you do. Um, so, uh, as you get more advanced, uh, most people, I think if you asked somebody, what would you call yourself? Would you call yourself intermediate, advanced, advanced, intermediate? What would you call yourself? I'm advanced. All right. So David has a high, um, uh, you know, opinion of himself. Um, so there, why I would consider professional beyond advanced. And well, so, okay, so yeah. yeah, we have a different sliding scale. For me, I still consider myself an advanced intermediate because I'm not professional, so I don't see myself as a guy Here, who. Let's break this down. Let's do one to ten, right? I would see myself yeah. as like a six. All right, yeah. See, I'd see myself as like a five, four and a half, five. That's where I would be. I I wouldn't put myself up there at six because there are a lot of things that you know I don't know, <clears throat> theory wise, um, because. There's still things that I'm I'm still learning, and I don't I don't have any problem. That's and that's the one thing you have to be honest with yourself. You can't be honest with anybody else. 
be honest with yourself. Yeah. Because if you're not honest with yourself about where you are, you, you walk into it, let's say, you, you know what, you're like, oh, I don't need guitar lessons. I'm too good for that. Okay. But if you're still playing sloppy and you're still, you know, incapable of uh, playing the things you really want to play well, re- regardless of, I'm not going to say write like the record because that's not, that's not a good um, measurement. But whatever you have as a measurement, if you're not there, lessons aren't going to hurt you. Right. 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 So um, anyway, let's talk about. uh, So as you move forward, um, application of theory becomes um, more uh, more important. Right. Now, whether you know what the theory is or it's just sounds in your head, you're still using theory. Yeah, everybody does. I mean, anybody who says this is. Okay, so an A minor chord goes really well with G, and then an E minor or E major chord, depending on what you're doing. Like that's theory. That's that's what that is. Right. right. And you may not even know what those chords are called. You're like, I just know that yeah, this, chord, this chord goes this well chord. with this chord, right? Right. But you're still using a theory. A theory. You have a theory as to what works with what. Um. So. Um. You you also then. Um, as you get more and more advanced in time, you learn how you can break rules that are set. Um, so you can say, oh, you know what? G major is normally what I would play, but can I use this minor? You know, will it, will it work even though it's an outside tone, uh, based on, you know, the major scale. And, you know, as we've said before, as long as you use, I honestly think any note is good as long as you don't sit on quote unquote bad notes for a long time. Or if you're in jazz, you play that note three times just to make sure everybody knew that's what you really wanted to play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing around, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yes, I do. So now, um, the next thing I want to talk about is how much time do you spend? Do you spend actually practicing? And I want to talk about that in some specifics. So, First, you want to talk about specific types of practice, right? Um, I suggest anybody warm up. Um, I was in uh, the guitar Zoom community. Someone said that they were um, that they their fingers were s- slicing on the strings, and everybody was like, "You just play through it. You bleed all over the guitar." I'm like, "Well, first of all, you're not being paid to play guitar. If your fingers are being cut by the strings, then there's something wrong." Right. You need to you need to step back and you take a break and start looking at ways you can protect your your fingers. Some people, it could be because you're in a dry climate, not have enough water. You know, it could be that you have, you know, you have delicate skin. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. Yeah. This is an older guy. He, it could have been easily. He could be dehydrated. on medication that could be causing it. Even. Right. I mean, that's exactly. so it happens. Um there are things you can do to prevent that or at least to alleviate that. Um, I've known people who've actually played with band-aids on. Like I, I can't people, do that, but there was a time when I had to get through a gig and I had to put uh they call it fake skin or something. Yeah, the, the new skin, skin. New skin. Yeah. My wife had, had to, to use that it, recently. Not on my left hand. Yeah, not on my fretting hand. I had to put it on my my uh quote unquote picking hand. Yeah. Or could I say plucking hand? My my whole index finger from the end all the way up through the uh, the first knuckle uh, nail, yeah, all the way up to the knuckle 
was bleeding all over the place. So during a break, I just took a I took a bottle of liquid skin. I just stuck my finger. In. Well, uh, that's fucking painful though, too. Oh, it my, hurt like the hubs I had because because nobody tells you like, oh yeah, new skin's the greatest thing on earth. My wife had to use it. She's a, she was uh, just finished up cosmetology school. She got licensed. Congratulations. Um, and she was talking about because the shears they use they're they're Japanese folded steel. They're like no joke. And she cut herself, and she's like, oh, I gotta take a test tomorrow. I gotta use new skin. And it was the first time she'd used it, and she was just screaming because it hurt so bad. Like she could oh, yeah. not imagine it hurting that, like that. I don't know what what do they call it, an analgesic or whatever that yeah. they put on that thing. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> I, I you know it's like this is what they need to make liquid novocaine available for. Exactly. So that's one of the things that um, uh, I think you know is important um, when you're when you're practicing. Make sure you warm up. We talked about that with Steve Stein. Um, last week yeah warm up yep make sure you warm down too it's just like working out it really is so can i be real for a minute yeah i don't i mean i didn't have to warm up i never warmed up as a guitar player until yeah probably you know when i started getting into this ingvay stuff i could start to feel the need to warm up um and i mean i'm not jim you've heard me I'm i'm not exactly a slow player by any means but to improve the accuracy of what I was doing, I really have to make sure that I've run some stuff underneath my fingers or at least warmed them into the faucet or whatever. Um, and the other thing, you're talking about warming down. Um, I don't, I've never found that to be as vital, but I have noticed now that I'm getting older, I'm starting to get a little bit of arthritis and stuff going on. Um, I have, I have an autoimmune disorder. I have Crohn's disease. Um, and I've always been concerned about that and I'm starting to feel it now. And I think that when I do make the effort to play some just like kind of nicer, cleaner blues licks at the end for about five or 10 minutes, right. It feels better an hour or so later. Yeah. And it's, that's what I was saying. So, um, when I say warm down, I just mean slow down a little bit, play some slower licks at the end. Um, even, um, I was talking or I was, uh, listening to rush, and they were, you know, you listen to their live stuff. And he was talking about how um, they used to warm up and warm down, you know, backstage. They being Alex and um, uh, Getty. Uh, the drummer, Neil, he would um, warm up and warm down after, at, before and after a gig um, in the green room, so to speak. So um, the uh, the thing is that, you know, Getty would talk about the fact that he had to warm up and warm down. And the way that they did it was they would pick the songs that allowed them to warm up vocally and physically into the music and then come de- come back down. Yeah. So, so if, yeah, go ahead. Speaking of warming up and warming down, I'm going to take a segue and then we'll come back to the practice thing. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I saw Malmsteen two weeks ago and you were getting a bunch of messages when I was at the, the show about, because I was there like two hours before the gig. And the doors were closed and they were on stage and it was definitely Mr. Melmstein himself. Um, and you would not believe the stuff they were using to warm up. It was hysterical. They're up there playing lazy from deep purple, which of course, you know, Ingrid's a big deep purple guy anyway, but all kinds of crap, like nothing that you would hear in their set blues, like, like 12 bar blues. They were playing some journey. Like, it was crazy. I'm standing there and I'm, I'm, I wish I could have recorded it because I know my phone wouldn't have been able to pick up the, the sound. Uh, through the door, but 
like it was pretty enlightening to hear that, you know, somebody like Ingve does come out right before the set and does play for 20 or 30 minutes. But on another, another part of this, we were sitting with a, uh, a guy who's a desert storm vet. It was super nice. We were like, we were all talking and stuff. And, um, he had a big thing for Lita Ford. Anyway, he was, he was going on about how he ran into the other band in the lobby, the opening band. Um, and he was like, he asked him if they got to jam with Ingve before the show. And the guy, the guy goes, or I guess the guy in the other band goes, you know what? He's like, honestly, Ingve's kind of, he's kind of pretentious. He's off by himself doing his own thing. And I'm just laughing. Cause I'm like, no, he wasn't. I just heard him no more than an hour ago, you know, playing this stuff in the, in the, uh, before, before they open the doors, like he wasn't pretentious at all. Like he was out there just having a good time. And it was funny because they cracked the doors and look in there and you'd see him up there and he was a big smile on his face, like having fun with the band. But then, you know, he goes out game face mode and like three quarter of the stage is Ingve, And then like this little corner has like a keyboard player, a drummer and a bass player. Like, in the, I mean, I, when I say tiny area, it's probably 15 by 15. And then the rest of the stage is like 90 by 90 or something. Anyway. And that's, and that's all mom stayed, you know, um, I got more to say about that later, but yeah. <clears throat> we'll get to that after the, the practice stuff. So again, warming up, the warming up doesn't have to be a big, long thing. It can be, it can be three to five minutes, you know, when you're younger, you know, two or three minutes, but you still want to warm up. You do not want to get into bad habits yeah. um, early on. And you don't want to get to where you injure yourself early on. I mean, um, you hear about it from all the pros about how they had to have, you know, uh, stuff taken care of. Because well, that's why I've always said, get a teacher in the beginning. Because they're going to tell you, like, they can look at what you're doing and see when you're holding the pick like Marty Friedman and giving yourself tennis elbow before you even, like, get off the ground. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's really important to start with a good, solid foundation. Get six lessons in the beginning. I don't care if you want to go it alone. Get six lessons in the beginning. Yeah, was it Marty Friedman? Did he play with... Uh, um, he was Megadeth. Megadeth, yeah. Yeah. So he, I just saw a recent interview and, and, with him uh, talking about a lot of the stuff. injuries. Yeah, he was talking about how a lot of the injuries that he had because he he moved to um, Japan, right? Mm-hmm. He's a TV personnel in Japan as well now. Yep, yep, that's a guy. And uh, no guitar safe. T- yep, because he was just on I, there. <laughs> was he? Yeah. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't that though. It was something else. Anyway, he did a he did this interview and he was talking to them and it was um, it was Sweetwater or somebody. And I, no, actually, it was Guitar Center. Um, they've gone to where they're starting to smarten up and do some stuff. And anyway. Um, they were, they were talking to him and he was talking about how he injured himself and he was, he was given a little bit of, um, advice on that. So, um, then make sure that whatever it is that you're planning to practice, practice it, um, specifically. I saw, um, recently, I don't know if you've followed Justin guitar, but, um, he's been teaching the captain from Lee Anderton and the captain. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, so he, um, the captain did nine you know, uh, practices things. And then he was like, you know what? I didn't get anything from it because we were too busy trying to make videos. We didn't look at this. So he's, what he's done now is he goes, you guys are here just so I can show you that, that I didn't get anything from that either. And we're just going to put the camera on and you guys are flies on the wall and you'll watch me go through this stuff. So he was very specific about practice regime. Um, uh, Justin guitar gave him, you know, very specific, um, things to practice. And it was interesting to watch the captain struggle with some of this stuff that I thought he would fly right through. And, uh, 
it's because just like when you were showing me how to do the economy picking thing, yeah, I never economy picked before, and that was yeah. I'm still struggling to get it right. That's a hell of a skill to learn too. It takes years to get it right. Yeah. Um, and I know people. There are some people that just naturally get economy picking right out of the gate. I'm not one yep. of them. Um, I had to develop it. And actually, my guitar teacher used to call it circular picking. And he was like, you do it in this circular motion. And honestly, that was a, a, a big help. But I have to practice it. I have to literally say, yeah. okay, I'm going to run two octave scales from E to E doing nothing but straight economy picking. Right. And now bet- now I'm learning that there are other ways to cheat doing descending runs. But we can talk about that another time. And that was one of the things that um, uh, Justin was going over with the captain. So I thought it was interesting. But the but the point that I want to make there is when you when you set up your practice practice regime, make sure if you say I'm going to practice an hour today or I'm going to practice half hour today, decide what it is you're going to do. Because if you go ADD on yourself, you're gonna you're not going to get anything out of it. And if you just sit down and practice playing the same shit you've been doing all the time, you're going to get really good at playing that shit but you don't get good at playing anything else. Yeah. You don't get good at what's outside of your current box. I'm always trying to learn something new. I mean, I play country, jazz, folk, rock. And I don't, I don't think about genre anymore. Do you know what I think about technique? Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to learn how to do this today, or I'm going to work on, you know, um, what's the, uh, the chicken picking, like that's what I'm going to work on today. And so you have to have a plan too, because if you practice it one day and then you don't come back to it, you're right. Then what's that. the point? Exactly. You're not going to get much out of that. So the, um, the, the thing that you should try to get out of it is, you know, uh, what are my long-term goals? And then uh, that way you don't just like weight loss. You don't say, Oh, shucks. I didn't lose 25 pounds today. Or I didn't learn that Ingwe Malmstein solo today. I, I now I suck because I didn't learn it today. Yeah, Jim didn't learn oh, Black Star, so no, you know, I suck. I suck ass. I'm yeah. I'm awful at that stuff. I am I am still still working. Out. Not that I'm giving up though. No, someone might say, "Well, geez, you're 54 years old. You you should give up." No, no, no I'm no, not no, giving no, up. No, no, no. You no. got to learn that stuff anyway. If you yep. feel like I I know people in their 50s playing Django stuff, you know, and that's a challenge, especially if you play it correctly. Because, exactly. you know, he and only that had was, two fingers. Right. And that was what I was getting at earlier. Not that I was trying to brag about the genres. but saying is each one of those is a different way of expressing the same type of tones. Right, right, and, right. You know, notes and choices of notes and rhythm playing well, on top of the well, beat, the behind the beat. So I notice a lot of people, we, when we talked about this on the show, is people buy gear because they haven't figured out how to develop a clean note style to begin with. And, you know, it looks like the overdrive pedal du jour is somehow going to improve the basic sound you're getting on a guitar. But, you know, honestly, if you're not happy with what you sound like clean, meaning, and I'm not just talking about separation between notes and those kind of things, but just like the way a note resonates and stuff that can be controlled by which part of your fingertip you're using. And that's what you need to think about and develop. And that's why I think, you know, these people that are in their first or second year and they're throwing all this money at gear, I just shake my head. And I'm going, what are you doing? Like you, you haven't even figured out how to, you know, how to make a note sound more, uh, more muscular yet. Like you haven't even right. gotten there. So. Exactly. You haven't, you haven't learned how to do the basic things yet. How are you going to 
going to try to get to that more advanced stuff. So um, the next thing, um, I have these these little notes I wrote for myself so we could stay on track. Um, and that is rehearsal. I, the reason I wanted to say that rehearsal is not really practice is that rehearsal is doing the stuff you already know how to do, or at least you should know how to do it before you walk in there. Now, that doesn't mean that rehearsal is not a workout. No, when I re say rehearsal is for you to take the music you already learned for the band, put it together, and find out what you need to tweak to make it work better as a band. Right. That's what it's for. Right. Now, if you're writing music with other musicians, then yes, there is a creativity involved in that band rehearsal. But a lot of times you've already got riffs and you've got uh, things like that you've worked out. Um, and rehearsal is more about, like you said, honing the finer deal details um, in a band situation. So I'm, I'm not so sure. Now, personally, I don't count band rehearsal as practice because even though I might say, oh, you know what, I'll change these notes or I'll change those notes and that, it, there's not really a lot of that going on. No. Mostly it's just playing stuff over and over until we get it right. It's getting used to the timing of the rest of the people because a band is a fluid thing. You can practice with a metronome until you're blue in the face. And I've said this to people in, in groups and forums before. Look, I don't care that you're playing to a track, which is, which is you know, synced to a metronome because it doesn't mean anything. When you get in right. the room with five guys and the drummer's speeding up and slowing down a little bit, and even a good drummer, a great drummer, will have some of that going on. You have to be able to compensate. You have to be able to play a, a, a behind the beat, on the beat, and before the beat when needed. I ran into, uh, I was listening to um, Steve Vai's Alter Zone record, and there are places on there where the phrasing is so good because he's actually able to lay off the beat and it's like, if you were to perform this live, you'd have to do that. Otherwise, the tune's not going to work. And and I was just shocked by how much of that there was on that record. But that's a clear a clear thing where in rehearsal, you have to tell the drummer, you know, you're just going to play. I'm going to be a little bit behind you. Don't try to compensate. Right. And those are things that you work on together. Matter of fact, um, with the band I'm in now, uh, I was talking to the uh, one of the other singers, and I said, listen, you're – you're coming in behind the beat. This is pop music. It's a pop song. We were doing Footloose. Yeah. That, and I was like, you have to be dead on it. You have yeah. to be right on the beat. Not behind it. Not yeah. ahead of it. You don't get to phone that one in. <laughs> nope. Nope. Because it's it, otherwise, you take it from being danceable and fun to, yeah, you want to make it your own? Fine, make it your own. But you know what you're not going to get? You're not going to get the response you're looking for. If you're a dance band, you're looking for people to dance to it. And it's a well-known song. Don't try to make it your own. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Um, next one is uh, when you practice, <clears throat> do you have complete isolation? Are you away from the kids and the wives and the friends and the phones and so on and so forth? Believe it or not, I put my phone on mute. I flip it upside down and I put it in the other room. Um, sometimes I'll put it on a charger. Sometimes I don't, which then I look at it and I go, oh, crap, it's a 23%. But that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> The the important thing in there is that you want to have some kind of just you and the guitar, which, again, that's why I, I know that, that you said you will practice sometimes you'll be sitting and running a scale while you're watching TV. Um, you, though, you have enough knowledge of that scale to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, if, if, well, even even if I'm learning something. 
I'll play it. I get things really quick. Unfortunately, I'm I'm blessed with that. So like I was working on some stuff out out of this book the other day, and honestly, I would play it two or three times out of the book, and then I would be like, all right, I'm done. I don't need the book anymore. Close the book. Go do my thing. Right. And that's. But not everybody can do that. If you can't, don't sit in front of the TV. Don't sit right. with your. Don't sit with everybody in the room. Like honestly, I can't practice. If if I had to practice with nobody in the room, I'd be screwed. I live in a 900 square foot condo. Right. There's no way I can get away with that. Exactly. So I, now, you have if, to train yourself to be able to, to shut everything but if out. You were right. But if you were one of those um, kids who had to get some isolation to get your homework done, or you had to have isolation to be able to um, read, um, then you should definitely get isolation when you're just, playing your guitar. Just go to your local high school and get a case of ADHD. It'll be fine. Trust it's me. awesome. Yep. I, I caught it last week. I have it. So, I've had it for years. Yep. When you look up information on um, Google and YouTube, do you tend to get distracted? A lot of people, they'll get on there and they're like, um, uh, they'll get onto YouTube to say, oh yeah, I'm going to look up how to play that yeah, song. Yeah, and then you're like, ooh, DOD oh, 250 look. video over the sidebar. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. And then you're like, oh wow, what did President Trump do this week? What? Uh, no, I don't and think then, I would watch that anymore. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're off watching um, uh, 1972 uh, Nixon versus whoever. In other words, don't get caught up in um, in something. Have your formula, have your time, and do your stuff. You know, in a consistent pattern. If you're going to sit down, like I like you were talking about, I do that too. But what I'll do is when I'm with the t- when I've got the TV because I can't think, I can't hear one thing and play another. I'm just not capable of that. I know there's people that can. What I do is I play whatever I hear on the TV. So unless there's no music and it's a dialogue only thing where I can play something, I'll play like I can tell I can play you almost every jingle I've ever heard. Uh, the intro to like uh, da 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 da. So <laughs> I don't do the jingles, but like I'll play along with them. Like I'll I'll solo yeah. over them or whatever. Yeah. So it, it's happened. It, it, yeah, it's and it's just because I hear it, you know. Da, 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 it's da, good practice. Da, da, da. Yeah, <laughs> it's how I learned to play Halloween. That that intro yeah. to Halloween. Um, so if you do do it, make it make it something useful. Um, and and I I want to I want to close my part of it um, by saying this: if you're if you're not getting out of anything out of practice, you're doing it wrong for you, for you. Yep. Do something else. Find some other thing. Take a lesson. Do an online yeah. lesson. I mean, how much did you say that was? A, there was a musician you said uh, you could get lessons from that was. There's a uh, lot of them out there. I mean, but and, yeah, you and they get, range anywhere from twenty bucks an hour to two hundred dollars an hour, depending on who you want to yeah. do it with. But you'd be surprised at how inexpensive it would be for you to take lessons from someone like Greg Cock. You don't have to take a ton of lessons from him. Take one lesson from the guy. Yeah, and when uh, that's Andy, how he's set up too. You know. Yeah, take in a lesson from Andy Allador. Take a lesson from, you know, look up folks that, that do online lessons. Um, the guy that does music is when Tyler Larson. Um, you know, these people are Tra- Chappers awesome. used to. Yeah, Chappers used to. I don't think he does it anymore. One on one anymore. Don't I don't really, know. Don't really care. Um, but Rabia might. Yeah. <clears throat> but I'd be more um, than him. And I think uh, who's the uh, they call him not the Dutchman the. Um, yeah, no, that guy. That guy's legit, though. Oh that yeah, guy's he, playing is stupidly, Peter Norrie? Yeah, stupidly oh, good. 
but he is not just stupidly good. He's he's actually stupidly famous. Yeah, in I know. The touring and and uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a Thomas Blug over there. Yeah, like he's gets used for everything and yep. So re- look up things, reach out, find out who you can get a lesson from, and and get a lesson. Um, you know, and and do these things. Um, even if it's a local musician, talk to him. Say, hey man, do you you mind if I you know if we get together and you know uh, and, you teach and, me some of these things? Yeah, that you do, and they'll they'll do it for money. Everyone will. Most, almost all of them will do it for money. Some yeah, will do it for free. A couple of beers and, and yeah. a. Uh, like, chance to hang out with somebody other than their wives. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I I want to close the book on this. <laughs> that cat. So, which he one? He had his little face up. Thanks oh, to yeah. Your arm. No, he's looking to see what's going on up here because the other cat's in the corner. Oh, um, I can't see the other one. Yeah, she's up in the corner, like, by the Paul Reed Smith wood oh. stuff. Um, all right. So, I was at the music store this weekend. I'm always at the music store. Bought a new gig bag. I needed it. I needed a gig bag. My my old Fender gig bag was starting to come apart, and it's just a piece of crap anyway. Um, the only thing Fender makes decent are guitars. Uh, a lot of the products that I've had from them that are not guitars are not great. Um, that's I'm generalizing. I know they make good shit too. Just you know, bear with me. I'm I'm not feeling well. Uh, that's my excuse tonight, and I'm sticking Amps. to it. So anyway, I went to the music store, and I'm gonna try to get this out without losing my voice. But but we're gonna we're gonna work through it. So Pat was talking about they had somebody come in the store and do something that was really fucking stupid. I'm gonna be completely honest. It was it was fucking dumb. Not gonna talk about them. What I want to talk about is it 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 brought up the fact that they had had a review on or it wasn't Craigslist. It was um uh Yelp or something like that. Yelp, I think. Yellow Pages, whatever. Somebody reviewed them and said, you guys suck, was treated rudely, was thrown out of the store, uh, treated me like garbage, never been treated like this, and the prices at Guitar Center are better, and all this other crap. Well, first off, the prices at Guitar Center are the exact same. Pat works really hard to make sure that their prices for the stuff they're selling are the same as what you're going to pay at Guitar Center. That's because he doesn't want to have to argue with people about pricing. When you used to go into mom and pops and they'd be slightly more, it was because they knew that you knew that. And then you would say, oh, well, I can get this at Guitar Center for this. And they go, okay, I'll give it to you for that. And if you were a poor sucker and didn't know that, then you were going to pay full price. Pat doesn't do that shit. So first off, he pulled up the review and he read it out loud. If I'd had the forethought, I would have got it up for this, for this episode. But um, it brought up an interesting point. The guy, the guy had his side of the story, which was that I was treated like an asshole and then kicked out of the store. Then Pat had his side of the story which is probably more accurate. Um, Pat says, guy came in with his kid, right? He had this, my shit doesn't stink attitude with his son. You know, like he just pulling down $4,000 guitars off the wall, um, which have stickers on them that say, please ask for assistance, right? Because I want to make sure somebody's serious. I'll I'll explain why here in a minute. Um, But Pat had an altercation with with the kid because the kid was playing he basically picked up every used guitar and then half the guitars off the new wall. And then he walked over to, to uh, I believe it was a Mesa Boogie, and he put his foot up on it while he was playing it. Now, we're not talking about a stock Mesa Boogie amp. We're talking about an amp that had, you know, Taurus vinyl or something on it. It's a special. It wasn't Taurus. It was a special, special covering and everything. And it's like, come on, man. 
Like, what the fuck? This is not your personal play place. So Pat walks over and he, and he, and he's real nice. And what he says is, if you have any questions or anything I can help you with? Yeah. Look, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, please don't put your feet on the equipment. Right. Just, just like that. Not, not a huge deal. And then, uh, meanwhile, the father is picking up bases off the wall. Pat goes over and he says, Hey, you know, is it, can I help you with anything? Is there anything in particular, you, you know, you have any questions about? And, uh, the guy goes, no, he's like, I don't even play bass. He's like, I just like, you know, he's like, I just like mess around with him. So at this point, Pat's kind of getting frustrated. Um, and he said, look, he said, we don't have a come in and play policy. You know, if you're interested in buying something, if you're interested in, you know, coming in and playing some of the instruments. Like that's one thing, but you need to, you need to have a conversation with us about what you're looking for and those kinds of things. And, right. you know, this is not a come in and screw up everything kind of atmosphere. And the reason for this is, and they're old school, right? So the reason for this is when you go to a guitar store, a lot of guitar stores don't care about what the instruments on the rack look like. Those are the places that don't give a shit about it, whoever comes in and plays them. I've been in, I've been in good time and I've had him pull out limited edition instruments and put them in my hands and him tell me, be very careful with the pick. We really don't want to put any scratches in this guitar because it's probably going to go to a collector kind of deal. Or even uh, every guitar I touch, they pick it up and they take a, a rag and they wipe all the fingerprints off. It's the little touches like that. You know, when you buy a $4,000 guitar, you don't want anything. You don't want to think that anybody has touched it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to think that anybody has touched it and and spit on it or whatever. Um, so that's my that's my point is like guitar etiquette. When you go into a store and I'm not talking about Guitar Center because they have an open play, play whatever you like policy. Um, understand that that there's a lot of money wrapped up in everything you pick up. And it's not just your money. It's the store's money. So if you do come in with that kind of attitude and you devalue something like putting your foot up on a, you know, a three thousand dollar Mesa Boogie dual rectifier or something. Um, that's just shitty. Don't do that. Like, try to be respectful. Understand that, you know, these guys have a store for you to come in and actually be able to try some of these things as they come out and make a decision about whether you want to buy them or not. Now, Pat's not going to tell you, hey, no, don't play that. You know, I, I don't think you're interested kind of deal. But it's like, look, you know, you, you didn't come in here just to fart around and play all the all the damn guitars. You would do that. Go home. You, I'm sure you've got guitars at home. The, the one thing about the guy that he told me, though, it's really funny. You know, I'll bring it up just to, just to bring some humor into this discussion. So the guy says, you know, he's like, he was picking up an electric guitar. He picked up a Paul Reed Smith. He goes, why does this guitar only have three wound strings? Most of the guitars I've ever seen have four wound strings. And he, and he, he explains. Well, obviously him, he's only been playing acoustics. Yeah. You know, it's like you have zero experience with this. And you're making a comment like we fuck up our guitars or something before we put them out. You know, that that's that's the kind of customer he was dealing with. So um, I don't know. Just be respectful when you go in these places. Don't give these guys a hard time. You know, um, yeah, I saw something uh, uh, very similar to that where one of the um, podcast folks, I'm not going to mention any names, uh, was talking about how. It was just inconvenient for him to try out guitars at this guitar center he went to because they were up high and locked onto the things. And I'm like, you know, first of all, they're trained not to engage someone. If they run out the door, they don't engage them. So that's insurance, you know, type stuff. So if it, they're, 
And number two, you kind of do want to, like you said, make sure that the people taking stuff down, it, almost everybody wants to think, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be careful. And I'm going to, we, we usually are. But if you're just there to like, I'll go to Guitar Center. I see the same kids playing the same guitars in Guitar Center every day. I swear to God, that's their practice place. Yeah, well, that's and that's, and that's what he's talking about is the people that come in and use the place as a practice space. Yeah, and, it's and that's not what it is. That's so, not what it's for. The other buy a guitar, take it home. The other way to think about this is every time you pick up an instrument at the store, that costs them money. You right. don't realize it, but it costs them money because they may have to do work to to sell it. They may have to, you know, just just wiping it down. That's labor hours. Exactly. People don't think about that stuff. And it's shitty. And that used to not be that way. It used to be that people were respectful of the place they went. But I, 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 Jim, you're going to hate me for this. But this is the Guitar Center culture. And this is the Sam Ash culture. These these big retail outlets who basically will let you play whatever you want. And it did for years. Now they just started to lock things up in the last well, five years. Well, there used to be, there used to be that room that you could only get into. Depend, depended on the, depended on the store. Some of yeah. my guitar center here are all open. They don't have any locks or anything. Yeah. See, now that's what it's like. Well, no, they were that way um, 10 years ago. I mean, 15 years ago, even. Oh uh, yeah. The, no, Villa Par- the Villa Park store is like that. I know the Naperville stores, the Naperville store, they did put in a, a VIP room now. But um, they've started to lock things down because they're having the same damn problems. And yeah. look, they created this culture of buy it, take it home, well, try it out, and then bring it back. Well, here's what kills me is people will say, oh, yeah, then it's a big problem. And um, and yet those same people are like, I would go to my local mom and pop and I could play anything all the time. And I wanted to say, you are so full of shit. Yeah, and your mom Unless and you pop fucking hates you. Right. Yeah. Unless you were buddies. That mom and pop did not want you in there playing every guitar that they had. Yeah. Um, you know, I think most of those people are, they've got fond memories of things that never happened. Yeah. Or, well, or they, they just don't know any better and they don't know that the guy behind the counter is like, what the fuck? When is this guy going to leave? Exactly. Cause you know? they weren't, yeah, they weren't going to engage. They, there was no way they were going to buy anything. And I, you know, what? Right. I go into some of these stores and, and I'm starting to lose my voice, but I go into some of these stores and I say, look, come in. I'm, I'm looking for this kind of guitar. I'm going to try a few out. I'm not buying one today. Is that cool? Cause I, cause I want them to know like, this is a potential sale on down the road. Don't think I'm not coming back. You know, understand that I, I am in the market. I just am not prepared to pull the trigger yet. And that's, they, they, they tend to respect that. Of course, I'm frequent so many damn music stores around here. They all know me now at this point. Um, but even the guys at guitar center are starting to know me. I'm kind of embarrassed by that. That's very embarrassing. Yeah. So I want to talk about I want to talk about one more thing that I heard about today. So this morning I get up and um Anderton's has put up a video about the new Fender amplifier. I'm like, there's a new Fender amplifier, and it's the 50XL champ. So what? Uh, yeah, so what they've done is they've put together now it is it is the most non news which is i think why i think nobody really heard about it um so if you look up the 50 xl champ 50 xl it's a competitor for the katana 50 you got it they're saying it's a competitor for the katana 50 i'm going to tell you right now no f and y not a 50 not a 50 watts 
Because Fender it's 50 a- watts in their solid state is like 15 watts from anybody else. I mean, they're quiet as shit. Well, they so they did a side by side. Peter Nore and Rabia Massad did a side by side. Musically, they are pretty close. Volume wise, everything they were pretty close. The thing that you don't have is you don't have the computer input for the for the um, uh, the Fender. You don't have any. I mean, it's just like or the computer output where you could you know record on it. It was like, wait a minute, this is this is like a non guitar amp. It's just yeah. the forty bigger. Yeah, it's ten watts bigger, which is really amounts to nothing. And, and the 40 watt was not loud enough to carry a room like for practicing, in my opinion, because nope. um, you're not going to get any feedback or anything like that going on. So I don't know, man, like the Fender, the Fender cool. champ line uh, is just. We're talking about the um, what do they call them? The Mustangs and all that, right? That's that's similar yeah. to this champ. Or is this similar well, to champs, a super champ? No, this is more like super champ. This okay. is more like. All right, then I'm not going to say anything bad. I had a Super Champ. I actually liked it. Um, I honestly think it's probably one of the the better, cheaper Fender amps. Um, I just think for $220, you spend the extra few dollars and you get yourself a Is it a tube or solid state? Solid state. It's pointless. Don't bother. Exactly. Save your money. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to that, go to the... Go to the just uh, get the katana, katana and be done with it. And honestly, if I was doing a katana, I'd get a hundred. I wouldn't even bother with the fifty. Yeah, the fifty. So, having shot them all out side by side, the yep. the fifty is boxy. The one hundred is just is it's the right cabinet and it's the right speaker for the cabinet, and it sounds better. Like, not, yeah. probably I would say twenty five percent to thirty percent better. It's worth the extra money. Yeah. So yeah, even if you just do the one by twelve katana one hundred, you've got the the things that you get with the one hundred. Uh, other than the extra um, head end uh, um, or uh, headroom, is you've got um, the effects loop. You got the record out. Um, you know, there's so much more stuff you can do with the hundred. Um, the the uh, foot switches, um, instead of just being like switching between your favorite channels, you can actually control your um, your effects and stuff. Um, and and you can put an um, uh, an effect like a volume pedal. Yeah, know. yeah. I'm, I don't know. I don't I just I I feel like this $200 50, you know, gigable amp thing, 50 watt solid state combo. I just feel like it's a market that really doesn't need to exist. I you know, so I I do have first-hand experience with 50s 51 by 12s um solid state combos in a gig market and I do see them and they are working. They are there. They are working. And for the club musician um, and even the solo artist, um, I still think that it's a it's a market that is there. Sure. No, um, sure. Sure. I, I completely agree. And I, you know, I have a katana head, so I'm right. not I'm, I'm smoking the, the, the katana pipe, too. But um, when I when I stop and I think about this market space and I go, you know, if you're a gigging musician. What is the entry level for gigging now? Is it because I mean, it used to be like create GFX, you know, 200 or 100 watt, you know, solid state amp, which was like 300 think, bucks. Yeah, I still think the Katana 100 is the more is the more realistic gigging amp than the. Um, I'm, I than know the people 50. that are playing playing gigs with a 50, though. 
Yep. And oh, I, I do too. So I'm, I guess what I'm saying is that are we setting the bar too low now? Because we know, look, any 50 watt amp that's under 250 bucks is going to have some sort of compromise needed to make that, that thing come into price for the Katana. The 50 watt speaker is different. The cabinet is different. Um, the cabinet and the Katana line is not great in general. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm going with this is that there are compromises made in the cheap, made in the cheaper amps that I think are more impactful on your sound. I just don't feel like they make great backup amps, right? I don't want to, I don't want to dispute that at all, but for guys that are like, and I've seen these people lately, they, they gig out, you know, a couple times a year, they come into the store and they're like, I need a new amp. And they're like, but I don't want to spend more than like 300 bucks. I'm going, what the hell are you doing? You're playing a gig and you want to, you don't want to spend any more than 300 bucks. Get the fuck out of here. Like, really? You know, what, what do you think this is? It would be like trying to take, um, you remember when they had the, the Fender had the DSP series. So it's like yeah. a deluxe 90 DSP. That's like buying a deluxe 90 DSP and trying to do like a live gig with it. And it, Yes, it'll be loud enough, but it's going to sound like shit. So I think that, well, again, we're getting to where um, the quote unquote gigging musician. Um, we talked about this recently. I guess this has to go in the same, the same. It's ra- going line lighter. Of, yeah. The same line of thought of like people using a pedal board directly into a PA right. kind of thing. And that's right. like, I get it. It's, At least I just it's a feel step like up from that. It's a compromise is what it is to, to, for you to do that. You're basically saying my tone isn't that important and okay. Maybe it isn't. May, maybe I'm wrong, but at least for me, like, no, I, you know, I at least want to be heard that that's really important to me. Um, and I don't feel like I could get away with three pedals into a speaker simulator into a, you know, into a, a, a PA. Um, Helix, maybe that's another thing. But even then, I know I'm going to have problems with it because I'm not going to be able to get the air moving behind me, which is important because the the guitar vibrates. Who would have thought you have sympathetic vibration from the speaker and the guitar? So I don't know. It's just and, and those are things. I think it's the. I think that that comes down to the music as well. I mean, let's face it. If you're playing a, uh, we talked about this. If you're playing a church gig, right? You're not worried about vibrating your guitar with the loudness of that speaker, uh, depending on your church, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so, well, um, and that's it's... a huge market, man. It's a huge market. And and those are gigs, whether we want to look at them that way or not. Those are gigs. I'll tell you what it is, Jim. It's the bedroom player. It's the guy who plays in his bedroom who, you know, doesn't want to spend money on amplification because he never turns it up. He's never pushing it loud enough to actually care. So when they go to their, and I, I'm not being, I don't want to be judgmental of church players. It's not what I'm trying to say. But if you're if you're a primarily bedroom player, maybe the only play you, place you play out is at church. In which case, okay, so you go to church with your, your Katana 50. And that's plenty for you. And I get that. But I just feel like that compromise has happened because you never use it at volume. Honestly, that's the whole reason why my Mesa Boogie isn't at this, isn't at my condo. It's at my parents' place where I pra- where I do most of my practice because it's loud as shit. I couldn't get away with it in the condo. But at the same time, I need to be able to play it loud enough 
that I can feel my guitar reacting the way it's supposed to. And that's part of the whole feedback loop system. So I think we've got this whole revolution going on right now. People are like, get rid of the, get rid of the cabinets, get rid of the cabinets. I don't think it'll stay that way long-term. If guitar continues to have like its own Avenue in music, you will still see cabinets on stage because people will still be like, look, I got to have my, my guitar moving and I can't do that with a wedge. But I I'm going to say this as, as bands become more and more international and the money, the, the big thing has been the money, money drives it. If, if the band doesn't have the budget to either rent or, um, cause let's face it, shipping, shipping a four, a, a, a stack of four by 12s from the States to Europe is not going to be there. So, so you, are you going to have a set of them there? Or are you going to rent them? I'm going to, di- I'm going to disagree. Or are you going to buy them and put them in a, and think I, I, I'm just saying, let me, let me, let me finish. So more and more musicians are packing everything into their bags and they are traveling with their gear more than we've ever seen ever. Now here's why. Okay. It has nothing to do with the finances of renting equipment. It has nothing to do with the finances. Of it. it has everything to do with the fact that you get a writer and it says, I'm going to have a marshal. And then you show up and it's a fucking solid state marshal. You have no idea what you're going to get. You literally have no idea what you're going to get. It's a crapshoot. That's why it's not necessarily the finances. Look, renting an amp for a gig doesn't cost dick. It's, I mean, it's, it's in the grand scheme of things for a touring act playing festivals in Europe. That doesn't mean shit. It's, it's the situation where you show up and what you expect to be there is something else. It's literally hot garbage. Sometimes it's not, it's just not available anymore. Yeah. I mean, they, they run into that. So, Yes, not every band can be Guns N' Roses where they have a warehouse over in Britain filled with amps and cabinets for touring Europe. Um, I get and, that. And, and I, who do you think that some of these bands rent from when they get over there? They they say, hey, Guns N' Roses, can I rent your stuff? Yeah, it happens. And sometimes they say no for the same reason Guitar Center doesn't want that asshole to take the guitar off the shelf because he doesn't treat his stuff with respect. So – um, plus there's times when they know, Hey, this stuff is, who is it that I saw that, um, I don't know if it was Steve Miller or somebody was saying there's no way. Oh, it was Brian Setzer. There's, there's gear that Brian Setzer has. He has bought yeah, all of it. Like you can't find anybody, many more of it in the world. I can't remember if it's certain tubes or, or a certain yeah, yeah, heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that too. But he ran out and he bought them all. Yeah. Every one of them that was on the market, they're gone. And so, and you know what he, he, he loans them to no one. Yep. So until he dies, they're not going back on the market. It's his thing. So, yeah. And so, um, there are, there are things you'd be surprised and shocked and amazed. Like, um, uh, some musicians that like boss Emmy eighties. So there are not Emmy eighties, the old boss Emmy, um, the early Emmys. Yeah. And so there was this one musician had like five of them uh-huh. because, because they do break. And so he has a, a technician. Spare. Yeah, he's got uh, one of them's just parts. So he buys them all the time just to have parts. So there there are there. And and all I'm saying is a rider, you know and I know that the, the band is responsible for everything on the rider. Yeah. So when I say responsible, I mean financially responsible. So if I say, Yeah, I want these things, and then they show up and then they get stolen, guess who's responsible? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a whole lot of there's insurance issues and all kinds of things. 
I, I only recently um, heard about why like it was a Bruce Kulik or something wasn't well, officially a member of um, KISS because but, but, he never signed his contract. Same thing with what you said right now, though. Like, you're still responsible for it, whether or not it's on your writer or you brought it with you. And yeah. like, so I guess what I'm saying price wise, I, I forget who it was, but I saw somebody who had four Axe effects that they took with them to Europe every time they'd go because they'd have, they'd need two on stage and two for a spare, right? Which means that's $12,000 in guitar processors on the road with them. Yeah. Do you think a band that's putting out $12,000 for guitar processors could not afford to have a rented amp? You're right. All right. There's, there's that side of it. There's also more and more, more and more bands that you would never think are not playing stadiums. Yeah. They're playing clubs. They're playing, um, especially when you go across Europe, you know, you're, 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 um, you're playing in all these, these, um, what, what are considered clubs, like that place you saw Malmsteen right, right. was a club, right? Yeah. How many people would you fit in there? Uh, well, it probably seats 2000, 3000 small. Okay. 2000. So it's, it's what we call a club and what you're calling a club, completely different thing, but it's a small state. It's a small amphitheater. Um, yeah. but um, it's, it's the equivalent of playing, you know, your local, uh, Bijou for a lo- lack of a better term yeah. or your, you know, your cinema. So if let's say you could get, um, 3000 people, you're going to pay to rent the hall because somebody's going to pay them. So uh, the I, mean, hall- I don't need an economics lesson. Like yeah. I understand, I understand there's, there's cost involved in there. And I think our listeners right. get that too. My right. point is that if we're making these moves towards smaller amps, the katana is not aimed at the guy going to Europe. Okay. That's, that's no, all I'm getting at. No, that's what I was saying earlier. Okay. The katana is aimed at the, at the bedroom player slash church goer church, church, um, well, church player. I, I honestly think that. And like we said before, the churches have got more instruments in them than they ever had. When I grew up, you were lucky if you saw an acoustic guitar, you were hippies. Yeah. If you had an acoustic guitar at church, you have a guitar. At church, yeah. What a blasphemous person! Yes, you 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 need to burn in hell. That was only the seventies, man. So we're not that we're not talking how long ago. So in the last, how I mean, I'm not really sure when the churches moved towards this, um, you know, more um, open music. What the late seventies, early eighties? They they started that movement. Yeah, but that was with the Amy. Amy Grant, yeah, Michael James, right. Michael W. Smith, and all those guys. So you're looking at a whole new that whole new um, thing that broadened it out, and those people, those folks, and I'm one of them. Um, they're always looking to make it small, you know, compact, no no noise on stage, because you've got everybody from three year olds to three hundred year olds in the, in the place. Well. And, and a lot it. of the places they play are not designed to sound good acoustically. No. And, no. and yes, I know work. churches, you'd think a church would be designed that way, but a lot of them aren't. That's starting to change. I think a lot of the newer churches, they're bringing in acoustic technicians and design consultants and things to get the job done. In fact, I think we know some people that probably actually do that for a living. A lot of, a lot of your smaller churches are renting, they're renting um, VFWs, they're renting um, small halls, they rent... Uh, you know, movie theaters, yeah, um, yeah, whatever down they can. here. Yeah. Down here, there's a huge theater in downtown Norfolk and a, a large church rents it. 
and you you would think, wow, they they've got money. I mean, they a lot of people go in there, but they're still saving up because um, a church costs three, you know, a million dollars, three million dollars, depending on where you live. To put together, we've got a ten million dollar church in our our town. Here, oh, we just, have some stuff like that too. We have mega churches here. Yeah, there's a there's the Rock Church. All right, the one here. The mega church. So I want to wrap this episode up because I am losing my voice. Um, but but I want to wrap it up and I want I want to ask all of our church playing listeners a question: How easily could what you do in a church setting be replaced with a synthesizer? Sound off in the group. Let's talk about it. That's a good one. I have been David. I have been Jim. And this has been Practical Practical Guitarist Guitarist Podcast.